what other podcast types would you do? Maybe I would go back and do one uh, as episode recaps of the Dukes of Hazard. That'd be pretty fun. Just a good old boy. Never mean it no harm. This week on the Dukes of Hazard, Uncle Jesse enters a contest to test a new fossil fuel moonshine is a way to deal with the then ongoing energy crisis and to cut down on pollution but boss hog is determined to alert the authorities Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information, have a little bit of fun along the way. With me, as always, Chris Boyer. You can find him online, ChristopherBoyer.com. And then all the social properties like Twitter at Chris Boyer, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, where all the kids are. Uh, Chris, <laughs> here we are. Another week. Thanks for joining me. Here we are. And over there on that side of the microphone in rainy Texas today, that's Reed Smith. Reed is a digital strategist, social media expert, fellow platinum member of the uh, Mayo Clinic social media network. We haven't mentioned that for a while. I know. You can find Reed online through most of the social platforms with at Reed Smith. You can also find him on LinkedIn and uh, his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You can visit transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at transparently.com. Well, as you've noticed, since you're listening to this episode, today we are talking about SEM or search engine marketing or whatever you would like to call that. But I think before we get started, I think it's important to make a distinction of what we're maybe what we're not talking about yeah. when we talk about SEM. Well, SEM, you know, is used in a broad context, so to speak, and it's changed a lot over the years, the term search engine marketing. So yeah, I think it's right. We should kind of focus in on, instead of taking that umbrella term that encompasses SEO, search engine optimization, and you know even now SEM is referred to with social advertising, we're not going to cover SEO in this podcast. I think we did that before. Yes. And we're not going to cover social advertising in this podcast. Yeah, I mean, both great topics, but and not to say that they shouldn't all be uh, considered, uh, together or be part of the same strategy or plan or tactics or what have you. But today we're just specifically drilling down to you know what we're calling search engine marketing, uh, not the organic side, not the social side. Yeah, the paid side. So what does that leave us with, Reed? What what are we talking about here? Well, uh, you know, for, first and foremost is what you're physically paying money for to actually have your brand show up uh, around the internet. So if you take those other things that we talked about out of the equation, what does that leave you with? Probably, um, you know, the longest running of these. I guess it'd be the longest running of these. But anyway, what we what we talk about is banner ads or display ads that you see right. on websites. Um, right. Now, there's different ways those get there. 
you know, retargeting and the like, and we'll get into some of that kind of stuff. But the idea that a little small graphic or, you know, kind of a square or rectangle or whatever it is shows up on a website that's not yours and you paid to put it there. Right. And those, uh, those display ads have been around a long time. I remember way back when, you know, when you're going through, you know, uh, Yahoo and you had those little flat animated GIF banners that were way back when in the early days of the web. But now they're much more complex. They have video embedded in them. Some of them are interactive. The whole banner ad concept has been around for a very long time and it has continually Mm -hmm. evolved. And some of that is maybe even more on the real estate owner side of the equation of deciding how the ads get there. But in any case, you know, banner ads is probably one of those and probably one of the most common, whether that's through an ad network or it's, you know, custom ads that are simply placed somewhere on a website. Sure, sure. And then you have those uh, those words that are like more AdSense words, words that are served up via Google by showing ads relevant to the information on the page. Um, so like, for example, on you, a health-related domain, like a WebMD or what have you, you can have the, the text that or ads that show up basically uh, because it knows where you're at. You're in a particular type of domain that um, is related to that topic, health or what have you. And then related to that, of course, is pay-per-click, which is those ads that show up when you're searching uh, those Google AdWords that show up, which are in a sense AdSense as well. It knows what you're typing in, and so sure. therefore it's pulling up ads that are related to what you're looking for. Probably, probably one of the more, if not the most common form of SEM. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people can wrap their minds around that. You know, everybody uses Google. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for the most part, I guess. But um, you know, so everybody, yeah. everybody wants to do that. You know, it's a lot of service line related campaigns, etc. But mm-hmm. yeah. And again, and this is what, why we've split apart SEO and SEM. You know, SEO, you're getting to the top of Google, but you're doing it through some uh, the more organic side of the equation. This is a way to kind of cut to the chase and make sure that you're up there. And in some of those, it's just, you know, how much money you're willing to spend. Right, right. Because it's, it's a bid algorithm. And related to that now is some native advertising options, which where it's starting to blur the line now, where like you're on a website and there's a section of content that is dedicated to advertising and it's presented though as if it's part of the website. You know who does this a lot is like the New York Times or other types of content form editors. They have these sections, right, which are kind of carved out that say these are related to your search or or it even looks like a story. And the thing about that is, is um, you know, it's much like the idea that we've seen in print where you have the, you know, the advertorial that's, you know, in the yep. magazine or, or what have you. So very... Very similar scenario that that is actually online. Um, you know, another one because obviously um, YouTube and you know videos in general are, are extremely popular. But you know, YouTube, you know, there's a way to monetize those types of videos, and so you have ads that show up mm-hmm. in YouTube. And and I've seen those evolve, you know, even further, right? So it used to be you you could do an ad like as a pre-roll, the five-minute pre-roll, or five-second pre-roll, I should say, right? Um, or some of those that force you to watch it for the whole 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it may be. Now I'm starting to see ads are starting to be inserted in the middle of longer YouTube videos. You can see ads that are presenting to the side. So YouTube, because it's owned by Google, they're trying to find various different ways to use video and advertising within video to um, really push 
that forward. In just a little distinction there, you've got the actual ads in YouTube. You've got the pre-roll ads. Mm-hmm. And those those are interesting. You know, those are the ones that you can skip or, or what have you. And, and we've seen, you know, this is how... Um, you know, we've created a fair amount of YouTube celebrities. You know, they make funny videos or whatever it is. My word, one of my, my oldest daughter watches a lot of YouTube videos. And those of you with, with elementary kids may uh, relate. But she likes these little things called blind bags. Hmm. And so you buy them at the toy store, the grocery store, whatever. It's like these little bags, but you don't know what's in them. It's like a surprise. So it's almost like buying a pack of baseball cards. I mean, you don't know what cards are in the pack. Huh. And there's like entire YouTube channels where all they do are open these things. So apparently I've gone about this all wrong um, <laughs> and should be doing that. Or they'll play with Play-Doh, you know, right. or, so, or something like that. Or they make slime or whatever it is. But what they've been able to do then is monetize those because of the amount of views that they're getting through ads and pre-roll ads and, you know, some of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and has allowed them to make money. There was just a case, there was a case this past week where uh, the kicker for the University of Central Florida was ruled ineligible because he would not take his YouTube channel down because he was making mm-hmm. money off of it. So the NCAA ruled him ineligible. So anyway, this, this you know, not to get off into a whole other tangent, but this ha- has an interesting play into a lot of different things relative to now people can monetize uh, what they're doing online. And even monetizing the actual content itself, not through the advertisements, right? Mm-hmm. Getting paid mm-hmm. to open things like you were saying. Now that probably is something we should talk about in a whole separate episode because yep. there's a lot, lot of different applications for that. Getting back to like sort of SEM and sort of the things that we consider to be more ad-spaced focus. One of the things that we know a lot about, I've never heard this term until I was doing some research for it though, domaining. What? Domaining? Is that a thing? It is a thing. Is that, that's a real. That's a real word. That is a real word, <laughs> and it means buying keyworded domain names, like you're buying Better Health Texas or BetterHeartTexas.com or whatever it might be, where you're actually buying domain names that have high keywords in them, and using that the strength of those URLs to kind of drive that through. Now, come on, Reed, you've been in organizations that have done that before, right? Sure. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a logical thought process as you decide to build a landing page or, or anything that you're going to now go out and buy a domain name for. I mean, you try to come up with something catchy. A lot of times you're obviously trying to relate that to maybe the name of the campaign or the project or what have you. Especially if you think about blogs, especially, and mm-hmm. you start looking at what are the domains that you could have for that. Your geography is obviously something that's going to work very well. If you can work your town name into it, couple that with, you know, whatever the blog's about, you know, you've got a pretty good domain name probably. Yeah, but let's let's be very clear. I mean, there's there's upsides and downsides to doing that. And I actually worked at one organization that when I came in, we didn't even have an understanding of all the different domains that we owned. It was literally mm-hmm. close to five or six hundred of them because we were trying to buy all the different iterations of it. And that, that <laughs> in and of itself is when you think about that, I, I, I it's not as strong of an impact to uh, search behaviors, which we're going to talk about later. But domaining is certainly uh, considered an SEM uh, type of activity. 
And then you also have like things like where you start to advertise on emails, where you do you know the, the banner ads or native advertisement on email. So now we're extending it past the website, getting into email. We could start doing that in blogs, and it could be sponsored content within the blog. And I've started to see a lot more of that as well. But I mean, what we're clearly talking about are paid ways, right, Reed? Right. To put content in front of people. Um, so that it can help supplement some of the organic ways that you're getting interest from people using search engines and that sort of thing. That's why SEO is sometimes called SEO now. It's a way to get to the top of the search engines if you're willing to pay for it very quickly if you're struggling with some SEO. Yeah, and and that obviously varies. It's competitive and it's a bid. The bigger town that you're in, the more competitive the terms become the deeper your pockets have to be. So you start looking at things like weight loss, where you're pulling in keywords that have to do with diet and exercise. Those are very, very competitive because you're also competing with a number of other organizations around town, not just the other hospitals. And so that now starts getting into some of the approaches for strategy around SEM. So what you're talking about, that sort of that geographical targeting of advertising, you can get very, very fine now with Google advertising or, or well, I guess Google is our biggest, Google AdWords is the biggest platform. Are there, are there other ones? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can get really specific, right, with your targeting of geographical spaces, of geographical areas, locations, you could do by city by zip codes. You can even do block-level advertising. When I was in New York City, we were able to do some block-level advertising, which is pretty interesting. That is interesting. Now, we'll say this. When we're talking, you know, we kid that, of course, everybody uses Google and who cares about Bing and Yahoo and all that kind of stuff. Now, we'll say this. If if for some reason you can, maybe through your employer strategy or whatever, if you find out you've got some large employers in town and you've got a way to figure out that the search engines on their browsers are default set to one of those. Maybe you know somebody that works at the big employer in town. Maybe it's a college or university or something, or it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, a manufacturing place. And you know that Bing is the default search engine. You know what? There's probably not a lot of other people spending a lot of money over there. And you can probably slide in and potentially run um, some advertising against the fact that you know that those people have those as their default search engine. So I'm just struck by the fact that there are places that still have things other than Google as their default search engine. But, you know. Yeah, I ran across it not long ago, and I, I was trying to remember who that was or why. But anyway. What are some other approaches, Reed, that organizations can take with their SEM strategy? Yeah, so one of them, and, you know, and I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about banner ads, you know, and I said that there were a number of ways those banner ads can actually get there. And so everybody's been to Amazon and looked at something and then you, you know, navigate around the interwebs and whatever it was you looked at on Amazon, that pair of shoes, whatever it is, is now following you around the internet. This retargeting, as most people know, and so that is becoming a bigger and bigger option for, you know, you know people are coming to your web properties for certain reasons. And now you can potentially serve up messaging more specific to what you know they're interested in when they're not on your website. So through some of those display networks, there are some things you need to consider and be careful about there, but you can retarget those folks. Absolutely. That gets into the whole creepiness thing, which we always talk about, right, when we get into online advertising. And you want to be real careful not to out somebody in the sense that they were on your website looking at, uh, you know, the, uh, the easy example is always, you know, they're there looking at, uh, something about bariatrics or weight loss surgery, you know, so it could be the weight loss surgery. It could be more of a, uh, 
medicine-based program. But in any case, they're looking at something around bariatrics. Mm-hmm. And then they're doing this at work, let's say. And now you've got somebody that's looking over their shoulder for an entirely different reason, and these ads are showing up. So you want to be careful, or even just family members and stuff that may come across this. That's probably not the best way to say, hey, you know, noticed you were checking, you know, checking out this or that on our website, especially with things like episodic care. You know, if you've got a new urgent care, freestanding ER or something in their part of town, you know, that again is more geographically based, then it's not so weird that they don't look at that and go, no, why, why are they showing this to me? Are they watching me? You know, kind of a deal. So it's more like you live in this suburb. We've got this new resource for this area. You can do some of those types of things. Um, and again, you know, retargeting may be an entire episode at some point. But that is, a, that is an interesting way to continue to put things in front of people that are more specific to them. Yep. And I alluded to another one uh, earlier, too, which was contextual advertising. Looking, you know, the text of the website, the keywords, and, and like starting to advertise things that are more specific. So let's say, for example, you're doing some very... Uh, maybe you're, you're, you're looking to advertise on one of the local, hyper-local news websites that may be serving a community or, or a region or what have you. And you can actually purchase advertising that's unique to that particular region. Like you have an urgent care center that opened up in this small region. So when they go to this hyper-local site, they can actually have um, you know, things that are related to that region. You could use context of the web page to serve up local ads. That's a great one. What else? Mobile. Mobile is a big a big thing. And mobile advertising, this also warrants another podcast. We keep saying that, Reed. What we're doing is creating a list of new podcasts for us to do. But yeah. the point is, yeah. mobile advertising is a whole nother way to start to engage with people using the mobile presence. And there's little tips and tricks that you can do on a mobile screen. And mobile, in this case, can mean an iPad it could, or a, a tablet, or it can mean a phone. But now you, not, you have all these variety of different options, which include... All the things we talked about before, but we can also now start to include things where you're doing ads that are textual within other apps. There's a whole app network that you can purchase mm-hmm. into. The way you phrase your words or your ads, I should say, on your on your mobile device, the language that you use, the images that you use, all of this is a particular type of strategy. And a lot of people say that if you adhere to a really good mobile advertising strategy, you actually receive better results from your campaign. And they're seeing mobile as like a whole platform that is good for advertising right now. And much like that, you can advertise in podcasts. Contextual advertising. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm kidding, but I'm kidding about not kidding in the sense that things like apps, it was like, oh, everybody, there's apps. Well, apps are becoming uh, better and more sophisticated as as Mm -hmm. the, you know, following along behind the feature set of the device. And so there's additional opportunities there. We've seen a resurgence in podcasting. Uh, you've got, you know, blogs, which may or may not be considered the same thing as, you know, advertising display-wise on websites and, and some of those kind of things. So there's different, different things you can do relative to all that. I think, too, you know, just from, a, from an approach standpoint, you've got to take into account everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. what your competitors are doing. So yeah. just continuing to dilute the same thing over and over again. You know, I mentioned that earlier, if you know you've got a big employer in town that uses a certain search engine, et cetera, but start thinking those ways. You know, Maybe there's a, an employer strategy. So again, maybe that's a little bit more geographic in nature, mm-hmm. uh, but it also you know, will allow you to better tailor that message. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to accomplish is putting a more relevant message in front of people that speaks directly to them because they get hit by a lot of it, you know. Right. I mean, this is this is the same thing we've talked about with uh, with direct mail for years. Oh man, what in the world? And and email, and right. so it's it's a really funny cycle because we're starting to see some of those things cycle back around, like email. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, email is a is a is a way that you can reach people again. So anyway, you, you've got to kind of take all of those things into account and look at everything else that you're doing um, and not be scared to try some things, you know, from a, even from a navigation standpoint. So like uh, the app Waze is now owned by Google. Man, everything's owned by Google. But, <laughs> but you, can, you can advertise in Waze. You know, you can have the little like custom pins over your locations mm-hmm. um, and get analytics around how many people are clicking to dial you know, in, how many people are requesting or navigating to your location via the app and some of those kind of things. And so, again, looking for those ways to find places to advertise. You know, what's interesting, too, is that many of these platforms are now offering ad-free options for a cost. You now have YouTube Red. I haven't subscribed to it. I'm not sure if you have yet, Reed. But it promises an ad-free viewing experience for your YouTube. But I get asked from YouTube every time I log on if I would <laughs> like to try it. Chances are that wherever you're going to go online, whichever way you can access the internet, they're going to figure out a way to monetize and do some kind of advertising around it. So now Voice First. We talked about that before. Voice First is a, is a place where many people are looking for how do we approach that? How do we now that we're limiting our our real state of all of our search, how do we add more advertising into that whole mixture? And we haven't even talked about industry-specific elements. And so if you're a home builder, you know, there's a million websites out there and even customized apps for that. Well, in healthcare, there are a whole bunch of them. I mean, WebMD is probably the oldest, but there Mm -hmm. stuff we've mentioned in previous podcasts like Doximity, HealthGrades, Vitals. Mm Uh, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a jillion of them. Then you bleed into some of the other places like Yelp, you know. So, again, it's a directory, but, yes, there's an advertising component to it. Um, and so you can do some advertising in Yelp or Angie's List or, you know, whatever it may be. All places that you can, that you can spend money. Does advertising still work online, Reed? And I know that when we talked a lot about advertising when it first came out online, that we we discuss well this actually could be a good thing because it's now starting to put relevancy of ads in inside your search patterns so you're only going to be serving up ads that are relevant to you but there's been sort of this trend over the years where people started to lose favor and started to think advertising is not really interesting anymore or started to divest and 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 spend ads in different places you know i do think some of the platforms become you know noisier and noisier but i think the only way to determine if it's really working for you is go back to some of the other things we've talked about in different podcasts is having succinct call to actions and the way to measure mm-hmm. and track some of this stuff 
because there are things that I've seen work uh, or that I've had work in one market or with one client that didn't work with another market and another client and stuff. So it's not, this is not a one size fits all, which is also the good and the bad of this. It's not, you can't do a templated approach which I guess is good, but it also then makes it harder to get going and do some of this stuff. Right. And if you're going to do it, it's important to look at the channels that are, like like you said, Reed, right? The channels that are being used before, as well as newer channels, and maybe find a nice blend or a nice bleed, and then tweak and optimize along the way. So think multi-channel or multi-approach for an SEM perspective. But um, I wanted to kind of surface some stats that I found from uh, a web resource called eMarketer. Are you familiar with eMarketer, Reed? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great resource. They recently put out the state of the state of SEM, and I thought there were some interesting things we can kind of maybe punch through a couple of these, right? All right. So, So display ad spending, they say, is outpacing search for the first time in 2016. That is, more people spent money on display ads than they did on search advertising, the Google AdWords. I wouldn't have guessed it, but you know, with the rise in, in search cost, which we can talk more about later, I guess that probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. And two, we're, we're driving everything else towards more of a visual experience. And since we have ad networks and ways to put this content on specific websites and not just any website, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I think that we, we're increasingly becoming more of a visual web uh, at, at the same time on the voice and AI stuff that maybe we're becoming not a visual web too, but the web experience is becoming more visual. So from a display perspective, that does make sense. I wonder if that includes mobile. I'm, I'm pretty certain it does in that, in that data. That would probably even make more sense then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next one is a search ad spend is expected to reach 36.69 so a little over 36 and a half billion that's with a b and make up 40 oh, a little over 44 percent of the total digital ad spending you know spending on search will continue to increase over the next several years so people are still spending on search an awful lot of money good night 36.69 billion well, that's that's international. That's not just in the U.S. I don't think we have that much money to spend on online advertising. But more and more people are investing in online advertising. And we'll talk about some, some prominent people that are not or they're moving away from it. But the point right. is, is that with all these different advertising options, that makes sense, right? That we have so many different sure. outlets. We're spending more money trying different things out. Clearly, where most of the growth is, though, is mobile. They say here, search spending on mobile is going to comprise 25.69 billion of that 35.69 billion. So I I don't know what the percentage is. I guess I could quickly do the math, but that's about 70% of yeah, all I was going to say two-thirds. Um, and that's a huge increase. So mobile is becoming increasingly more and more where people are starting to spend more time advertising. And I think that follows along with people that are using internet-enabled devices through mobile. Even with all the hype around social content marketing search is still the tactic marketers continue to want to know more about but more than a third of senior marketers from australia the uk and the us said they'd like to sharpen their know-how of search engine marketing so this should be a very popular episode 
<laughs> yeah, we hope so, right? <laughs> you know, if we're talking about senior marketers, and I don't know where the cutoff is there or mm-hmm. kind of who that is, if it's years or titles or what, but I- I'm hoping they are more from a strategic standpoint, understanding how the, the pieces fit together, or how they've morphed or evolved, much like we've talked about you know, earlier in the episode on how you know, some of this has changed. Uh, In the same study or the same report from eMarketer, they said about a third of the people using the web trust the internet search engine results as the most trustworthy and accurate. That's the whole deal, right? I mean, that's why the result is at the top. Mm -hmm. It's the most, it's correct every time. Right. As my friend Patrick Singson would always say, or Google returns the top search results whether they deserve to be on the top or not. And I think that's the danger a little bit in healthcare, not a little bit, a lot in healthcare, I guess, is um, like we've talked about in previous episodes around, you know, vaccines or whatever it may be, you know, if this stuff is ending up at the top of Google, it must be true. It, it, it is still the case. I can't tell you the last time I've gone to page two of Google. Yeah. Yeah. You know, much less uh, even scroll down the page. To be fair, a lot of my search is uh, branded terms, you know, because I'm too lazy to type in the URL of the website <laughs> or something like that. So, I mean, you're, you're just keying in like Nike or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then, okay, there's Nike.com or whatever and clicking on it. Maybe not quite that simplistic, but that that is a lot of it still, I, I would guess. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Why don't we pivot to talking about some of the things that we're seeing that's causing this disruption? We're not going to get into the details of mapping out like a good ad strategy or what have you, but there yeah. have been some things that have been in the in the news lately that have gotten people to start to you know pay attention and say, wait a second, is the polish of SEM is that that shine and polish of SEM starting to wear a little bit? Do you want to talk about one of those? Read the the waste in the digital ad market space. There is a lot of waste, and I think, and I, I'd love your opinion on this, but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of that is based on the fact that we're very used to doing the same thing over and over again until somebody says, hey, quit doing that. And so we spend a lot of our time, you know, just doing the same things over and over again on the same platforms with the same budgets. So as things get more competitive, uh, you know, with AdWords, for example, our impression share is going down, you know, that's not that's not helping us a lot. And so the article that, that references how much waste is in the digital ad market, 
Uh, again, we'll have a link to this in the show notes. Goes through several, you know, several pieces here and, and experiences specifically of Procter and Gamble and you know, how they have spent so much money. They specifically reduced, you know, they're spending on digital ads more than a hundred million last quarter. And they found that it didn't really impact their bottom line results. Right. By doing so, right? right. So, right. So, right. so they did. So they just saved a hundred million dollars in one quarter. I, well, and, and uh, it's not only them, right? It's it's uh, Wall Street Journal and others that are big advertising agencies that probably have spent are spending thousands of dollars a month on online advertising are starting to really look at their online advertising results with a, a little bit more of a fine tooth comb to see exactly which ones are actually getting results and which ones are being impacted by the dreaded bots, right? All the, the right. internet bots that are out there that are maybe pinging the sites and, and um, costing them money. Yeah, and I think what you'll start seeing, and this is kind of what it, this article talks about a little bit, is um, you know Procter & Gamble uh, is cutting this back until they feel the pain of it. So as long as they're cutting back spending and not having a noticeable uh, impact, you know, as far as on their growth rate or, you know, the different metrics that they measure, uh, they're probably just going to keep cutting back, you mm-hmm. know, until until they feel like they need to go the other way. Now, devil's advocate a little bit. The problem, I think, with some of that is it's going to take a long time to measure that impact on a brand that large. They're not selling watch bands, you know, so it's like, oh, man, we sell this one product and we quit doing this and now we got this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of theirs is brand affinity. And so it's going to be really, really hard you know, once they quit throwing stuff into the top of the funnel, it's going to take a while for it to filter down and then to, to fill the deficit, in my opinion. Now, do you think that hospitals and health systems kind of face that same challenge? Or what are your thoughts around how they should respond to this? I don't know. I, <clears throat> I think, you know, hospitals do rely quite a bit on, on brand affinity. And, and two, a lot of what a hospital is and provides is community is episodic care so er urgent care freestanding er's so you're not you're not looking for a hospital necessarily Mm -hmm. you know that's not really the way that works Um, there are some elective procedures you've got sleep lab you've got weight loss you've got uh, you maybe wound care you know uh, maybe some screenings heart related stuff that you may choose to do but for the most part your engagement with a hospital is not going to be based on a lot of planning. To take away that idea and the advertising, it's going to be really hard to measure uh, some of that, the, the impact of it. And some of it's going to be really hard to measure, you know, when to attribute that mm-hmm. to. You, you should have a, a, you know, kind of a split across what you're doing from an online perspective, but definitely spend time tracking that and making some good intelligent decisions. We don't have unfortunately, you know, bottomless pockets that we could just dip into to pull stuff out. And we have to be judicious about how we spend our money. Particularly when we talk about one of the other things that we found, it's uh, actually a report that I sent to you a couple weeks ago, Read the iProspect report, which shows that cost per click costs are starting to rise and they're reaching an all-time high now. A company called iProspect that did a survey on this, they did a quarterly paid search trends report and some of the trends that they're noticing is, this is general, right? It's not a, around every keyword that's out there. But cost per click continues to rise, and it reaches an all-time high, meaning that while it's, it's a great performance channel, right, it drives results, and we can, we can measure those results and track them very quickly, 
that the cost is continuing to go up and up and up while the overall click rate is declining. Part of it is there's a lot of people out there in the market now. When you Google or you do a Google AdWord and you look for some of the ads that are out there, you can see there's now a lot of different people that are out there competitively going for those ad rates. So many more people are bidding on the market. And because you have so many choices, the consumer probably isn't clicking on them. Yeah, I mean, I think this harkens back to the idea that you get so much junk mail, you just you throw everything in the trash. The good, the bad, everything goes out. I, the worst thing to me is going to a website and I can't get to the content because stuff keeps getting in the way. I just won't. I'll just quit and quit reading the content. You know, if there's too many slide downs and pop ups and takeovers and all that kind of jazz. And, you know, relative to like PPC um, or, you know, cost per click. I don't know. I it's it's weird in the sense that um, you know a lot of people are still advertising against branded terms. It's going to continue. It's going to price some people out of this, which may then bring some stuff back in line mm-hmm. potentially. Well, and it's probably giving rise to the next trend that we're seeing, or one of the challenges, which is ad blockers. So um, I haven't used ad blockers in. A long time and based on my last comment maybe I should but um, you know Google announced you know that they were gonna add uh, or you know build in ad blocking into Chrome and you know some of those types of things and so we talked about the rise in you know this this actually references a 30% increase over last year in banner ads mm-hmm. and so the idea that uh, there are software out there that allows you to block said ads I don't know that I've really ever used it much uh, do, do you do you use ad blockers or anything like that? I do. I have an ad blocker within Chrome, and now almost every website I go to says you're using an ad blocker. In order for us to give you a great experience, we count on our advertisers. So please remove your ad blocker, or we won't access your content. So what I do is now starting <laughs> to make help. exceptions to these pages. Yeah, they, they just hold you <laughs> hostage. And yeah. So because they do, they need you know you're not paying for the content. So right. somebody somebody has to pay for the content. So it's got to be advertisers, mm-hmm. and doing so, you know, this is the whole deal with like like DVRs. Uh, we were watching something with the kids not long ago. I can't remember what it was. It was like America's Got Talent or one of those types of shows. I can't remember which one it was. And that, so you know, it gets to the segment and uh, and it goes to like a commercial. Mm-hmm. And my daughter was like, "Fast forward." I was like, I, "What do you?" Is live television. I can't fast forward this. Yeah. And she's looking at me like, we, I don't understand what you're saying. Because they've only ever watched things that are DVR and they know you can just fast forward through the commercials. So, and they don't typically sit down and watch sports with me, which is about the only thing we don't DVR anymore. So it's, it is, it's a cat, and it even talks about it here being a cat and mouse game of blocking ads and then the content providers basically holding the content hostage until you unblock the ads. I, I'm of two minds of this one too because you know at one in one case I don't want all those ads and there's nothing worse than being on that mobile screen and trying to scroll through an ad and you accidentally press it and you can't get out of it you know and oh, I hate that but and it happens on desktops too but but I do want that good content and I do want to I want to encourage the people that are publishing the good content to keep publishing that good content. So I want them to benefit from the advertising. But, you know, I saw so I'm like of two minds all at once. Part of me says, give me the good, clean content without the ads. But I guess you need the ads in order to get the good, clean content. 
Which is why I pay $7.99 a month or whatever it is for Netflix, I guess. Yeah. And right. maybe, you, maybe you should and pay that for YouTube Red, too. Yeah, maybe so. And and we even mentioned, what was it? Was it last week we talked about the ability for now some of the social platforms? They're sort of beta testing it in Facebook, allowing some content yeah. publishers to then charge for their content natively inside of Facebook instead of you linking out to uh, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or whatever it is, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So that's another interesting way that, you know, again, somebody's going to have to pay for it. Advertisers or consumers, one of the two. That also then leads to another trend that we saw, which is this other article about where people are actively getting sick and tired of Facebook and Google owning all the advertising or owning owning most of the advertising and they're they're trying very actively to get out of what they call the Google Facebook duopoly of advertising. And so they're yep. they're they're trying to circumvent it. They're trying to turn on all their privacy settings. They're they're downloading browsers that allow them to search the internet, you know, cleanly. Uh, and, and while it's a small movement, the whole point here is is that people are just getting tired of being these two big ad networks that are just taking over everything. Yeah, it says in the article that, you know, Google and Facebook are currently sucking up 98% of every new ad dollar spent online. Oh my goodness. You know, that's that's new ad dollar. So, I mean, is it too far gone? Part of me says, yeah, that's too much. But the other part of me says, but then what would happen? What's the alternative? Well, what's interesting, I have to say, ironically, is on this same page where all these ads are on, this is from BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed has a whole right rail of ads that are being served up by Google's ad network. Yeah, that's what's funny about that. (laughs) I mean, come on, my goodness. It's like, okay, so what are we going to do as users? You know, we got all these things that are moving on, these things that are changing. um, And now what are we trying to do as users? Do we want to turn on privacy? Do we not want to turn on privacy? That's such a fine line when you start talking about privacy, because I think privacy means different things to different people. I think quite honestly, a lot of the experience that we like requires a certain level of insight into our lives, you know, mm-hmm. to provide that personalization. It's almost like nobody wants to know how the sausage is made, right? And <laughs> yeah. so it, as long as you don't see the process, you're fine with the product. But once mm-hmm. you understand what's actually happening, that's when people start getting concerned. I think some of it's generational in the sense that I think we're going to have some people coming up. And when I, I'm not talking about millennials, although this is a good opportunity, we could chunk something on the millennials, I guess. But um, <laughs> it's like it's like going to be a new show segment. It's a new show segment of what can we put on millennials. Um, but no, I'm talking more about like my kid's age. You know, yeah. my, my son's ten. Right. Is he going to care when he's 24 mm-hmm. or do we do we only care because we used to have privacy because we existed pre-Internet or is that just going to be the norm? Exactly. Is that just going to be the norm? And even if we find creative ways to maybe, you know, levy lawsuits against Google or, you know, prevent uh, ad blocking or whatever it might be they're still going to find a way to advertise. I mean, the thing is, is there's no tool out there that will prevent advertising. Google makes its money through advertising. Facebook makes its money through advertising. That's the way they make money. Do you not want Google or Facebook in your life? And if you're prepared to say yes to that answer, then I think that you might be able to lead an ad-free life. Maybe. I doubt it, though.
We, as hospitals and health systems, turning it back to our audience, we want to provide them some good, like, advice or suggestions about, you know, they don't want, I don't want them to walk away feeling disparaged. I think advertising in general works. Online SEM works. And there's some really great effective ways to use it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, there absolutely is, or we wouldn't be talking about it. Mm-hmm. But just we have to be cognizant of all of these other things. And sure, when Procter & Gamble pulls $130 million of their advertising buy away, right, or 140 whatever it is, that doesn't mean that you as a hospital have to pull all your monies away, particularly if your CEO sends you that, you know, that email that says Procter & Gamble's not doing it, so we don't either. Uh, you know, and you have to kind of put it into context. A certain amount of what we have to do is we do have to put advertising in front of people because, quite frankly, everybody else is doing it. The equation is pretty simple in my mind. Uh, now, the execution may not be, but the, the, the equation is in my mind that going into this, and we've talked about this, and so, I mean, this is a perfect example of where you put a lot of the things that we've talked about historically into play, which is you have a plan going in. Part of that plan is a definition of what success looks like, that if you do this, this happens or doesn't happen, or whatever it may be, you have something very measurable. Uh, now, that could be more volume-based. It could be a true ROI. It could be engagement. Uh, yeah, who knows? But you've got all of this determined, and then you can then measure it because it is a paid medium. So, again, to Chris's point, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just make sure you're evaluating correctly and uh, have things in play that, that work for you and your market. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, now we're into the touch point, touch counterpoint section of our podcast. And today's discussion will be around the whole concept of online advertising and whether it's good. And more particularly, Reed, what I'm trying to get at here is that online advertising is designed to start sharing more relevant information to you based on your search results, based on your experience with the web. And there's two sides to that argument, whether we should get that content, whether that's good that we get that targeted content that's interesting to us, or the flip side of that is by not giving us other types of content, we lose sort of that serendipity of discovering things that may or may not have been in our vantage point, in our filter. You get get the argument here? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have time for serendipity. So (laughs) serve me up specific stuff specific to me that you know I need. But Reed, let me ask you this. 
every time you get on the web, are you only there for a specific purpose in mind, or are you starting to find entertainment online as well? Yeah, I mean, ish. I would say, and again, it's skewed because of what I do for a living, but I would say most of what I do online is task-based stuff. It's not around discovery. Now, I'm probably not a good... No, I'm probably not a good thermometer around that. <laughs> well, let me put it this way to you, Reed, right? I, I think that what's interesting and what's great about the web is we discover new things all the time. And I'm like you, right? I use the web as a tool, as a purpose for business. I use it to get information on a very task-based fo- uh, approach. But on the flip side, I also use digital, digital mediums, as a way to get entertainment and to get news. And I certainly don't want to have an experience where I'm only getting information that's relevant to me. Then what we're doing is we're putting a bubble around us, a filter bubble. We're only getting that information to us that's relevant. Where, how am I going to learn what's really happening in the news? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> how are we going to find out what's happening in the news? But no, so I think because of the specific recommendations, that's the whole reason that I go to the internet relative to, to entertainment. So when I go to Instagram and I'm looking at people doing leatherworking or woodworking, I want you know good served up examples of that. I don't I don't need to explore around. Just show me the people that are really good at this and what they do and how it you know aligns with what I already have. You know because that that's what that's why I'm there. I don't I'm not there to discover you know, new types of this or new types of that. If I am, I'll search for those specific keywords. Yeah, but Reed, then how are you going to learn more about new topics, new ideas? Some of the new stuff that's actually going to be impacting us and getting into our space. If we're in this filter bubble, like you're suggesting, how would you have learned three years ago about voice-first technology? How would you have learned about these new things that pop up? I mean, are, are we only going to count on just our limited, narrow focus of, of our world and only those little things that happen to you know, coincide with how we believe, how we live our lives, how we traffic the internet. Is that all we're going to get? I think we need to open ourselves up to more. I'm going to rely on a couple of really smart podcast hosts to bring me relevant <laughs> topics. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, maybe this is laziness on my part, but that's just not, I'm just not interested. Like I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, I'm going to get word-of-mouth recommendations just like I would for a restaurant. And that's how I'm going to find things. And then, then the technology is going to accelerate that and give me great examples. Sure, but the technology will accelerate the word-of-mouth examples, as you described, right? But it will also allow you to now start to introduce things into your mind, into your mainstream, so that now you could actually start to experience new things. For example, you move into a neighborhood, you're looking for an urgent care center, the local hospital now could put an ad in front of you about their brand and lead you to learn a little bit more about their care center and hopefully expand it to the the overall brand of the hospital. So Therefore, what you're doing is you're using this online advertising to get people out of their bubble. How's that? (sighs) Man, it seems like a lot of work. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're only measuring us to what's getting good return, you might not see those as good opportunities for advertising. That's true. That's true. No, I... (laughs) 
I mean, I still think I still think you're going to go back to you're going to search for what's relevant to you at that particular time. So if you're planning a vacation, you're going to be Googling and searching for a lot of things relative to that vacation, whether that be the destination, uh, things to do, you know, whatever it is. And you're probably going to talk to other people that have been there. I mean, that's the whole point of social networks. And so, I mean, it's less about searching um, and more about just, you know, seeing and consuming content relative to what you're interested in. Yeah. And I guess now we're starting to kind of walk back from our arguments and getting to that middle ground. Search engines are designed specifically for that, for people searching, right? Uh, It's asking you to put in a, a question and it's its purpose is to give you answers to that question. So in in that regard, I think that if you're searching for something, it's going to try to give you back relevant information. And so naturally, by extension, online advertising will help you, uh, will help you to try to get more relevant information to the relevant people. Now, on the flip side, though, when you're going to like, let's say, you know, NewYorkTimes.com or you know, in in Minneapolis, the startribune.com, and you get some banner advertising, if that banner advertising is promoting, let's say, a new event that I wasn't aware of, or, uh, you know, a new concert or a new brewery opening, while that isn't directly related to my search results, it's a great way to kind of insert advertising in and give me more of that impression and awareness. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, You know, obviously, if it's it's stuff like... um you're just looking for the closest pizza place. I mean, just tell me the closest pizza place. I don't need a lot of context around that. And then the next time I'm obviously looking for some of those types of things, um, you know, go ahead and put that stuff in front of me. You know, we're starting to see more and more of that relative to, you know, apps and, and even voice first where you can, you know, order pizzas or whatever it may be that, that take into account your recent history. But from a discovery standpoint, I think that's, you know, where the opportunity lies, I guess, uh, for some of these technologies to really, you know, spend some time and provide some good, good resources. All right. Welcome back to our Ask the Experts section of the podcast. Today, we've been talking about search engine marketing. And when we thought about an expert that we could talk to about search engine marketing, my thoughts naturally went to someone that we've known each other for quite a bit of time. Let me introduce Kevin Minnelli with Eruptor. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Kevin, you and I have known each other, how many years now? Has it been like seven years, eight years? Somewhere around 2010 or so. I think oh my it was gosh. the old Fit for 50 campaign was the, <laughs> uh, the campaign. Yeah, that was the first, the first time you and I started working together. That was back when I was in the Innova days. Um, want to give a little background about yourself and where you work and all that? Yeah, abso- absolutely. I'm uh, CEO and co-founder of uh, Eruptor. Um, we are a digital marketing firm for healthcare, specifically healthcare, 98, 99% of our businesses healthcare related. And we currently run about 700 to 800 campaigns, well over a million dollars a month. So we're very, very well versed in, um, all aspects of healthcare from, you know, urgent care campaigns to, uh, orthopedics or cardiology, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, we've, we've got a campaign running right now. So, mm-hmm. and we've been doing that since, you know, we, you know, started working back say in 2009, 2010, really focused on patient acquisition by, you know, having some HIPAA compliant phone tracking system and, 
and some tools like that that can actually generate real measurable leads for the hospital that uh, the hospital can let us know how many how many patients were acquired that month and, and that's what we show up on the report so you haven't only been with Eruptor. you've you've been doing this for a while haven't you yeah, uh, JK, my business partner, we both came out of uh, Revolution Health, which was uh, a Steve Case from uh, AOL, uh, one of his startups uh, back in uh, God, 2005 or six, somewhere around in that area. And it was to be a WebMD, uh, uh, to kind of compete with WebMD. Um, it turned into Everyday Health, and it's gone through a couple iterations of different companies now. But yeah, JK and I both cut our teeth doing... Uh, he was doing hospital marketing back then, and I was doing the search engine marketing. I was doing the advertising. I was the ad ops manager, which was DoubleClick at the time, Google, and we started developing a platform to serve our ads. So, mm-hmm. you know, hospital ad would show up on a website and you know, it'd be a full page takeover or wherever the ads would go. And I was responsible for setting, setting that up. And the big thing JK and I always ran into was... <sighs> are the hospitals really getting any, you know, bang for their buck when they're running display ads on these type of sites? Um, you know, what, what is measurable? I mean, most of the time you were happy with the click-through rate. Hey, your click-through rate was, you know, 0.2%. That's better than industry average. That's great. But the reality is they weren't really driving in any patients. And when we started Eruptor, that was our goal is to change that and really try to focus in on, how can you actually really acquire patients? What are some measurable results that we can actually provide instead of just click-through rate and, and bounce rate and time on site, stuff like that? Tell me a little bit about how you've seen like SEM evolve over the years. The whole search engine marketing is, is very complex. There has been a lot of change in the space you know, over the years. One, it's easy to get in and everything, but mm-hmm. Google's also making a lot of changes to try to automate some of the procedures and everything inside AdWords and and trying to make it smarter. And it doesn't always get there. We're a Google premier partner. We have relationships with Google and a lot of different things, but they still love them, still love them, but they really are trying to push a lot of stuff towards that display area, the awareness components of of marketing instead of the true patient acquisition. In healthcare itself, right, it's it's different. I don't think Google completely understands our, our industry. Yes, um, th- that is fair to say. The, <laughs> we've had Google try to come in and, you know, set up uh, some accounts and everything for us. Don't worry, you know, we're experts. We have this and everything. And like I said, I love Google to death. But the, the, the Google reps, when they're trying to set things up, they're not taking into account the the intent of the keywords. They're still allowing keywords like knee pain symptoms, okay, and knee pain causes. That's great for WebMD or Wikipedia mm-hmm. when when they need the traffic so that you can go in there and go, well, is that a meniscus tear? What is that? How? What's wrong with my knee? But we don't need those keywords. The hospital doesn't need that user or that potential patient too early in the process. The analogy I always give when I'm talking to clients is if you have the knee pain and you've been limping around the house, at that point, you're not going to go look for hip pain causes or knee pain causes or symptoms. You're going to actually look for an orthopedic doctor, something that's a higher intent. You're looking for a result so that you can actually find a phone number, call and make an appointment. And that's really, again, what we have tried to focus 
in on and get the health systems to start focusing on that. Is, is that primarily how hospitals, the strategies hospitals are using paid search for or SEM for? Well, I, I think a lot of them are still doing the old school, hey, look at how many people visited our About Us page. What we've really tried to do is try to help them change that mindset to please stop looking at bounce rate and time on site and page views. Those are irrelevant metrics. That if you want a whole bunch of page views, I can, you know, we can buy generic keywords like knee pain symptoms and land them on your homepage and it's going to take them four clicks before they find your orthopedic thing. So it doesn't mean I'm running the campaign any better. I mean, you, you need to focus on, again, those high intent keywords, drive them into a landing page with a call to action that is, is useful. Call for an appointment, schedule an appointment today. You don't want the fluffy or fuzzy learn about our orthopedic doctors and and things. I mean, you can run those type of campaigns with certain doctor names and things, but it's still the, when you go and you take a look at, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of clicks, say, on orthopedic campaigns that we've run, nobody really is searching for the doctor name. If you're searching for the doctor name, it's because you already know the doctor. It's not just bringing the people to the site, but it's actually moving them further along the path around patient acquisition, around bringing them further down to making them closer to making that appointment of care. Talk a little bit about how hospitals are working with you in that regard. So the hospitals that that we work with, the, the primary driver, again, is making sure that we have set up the campaign the proper way. And we, again, know the high intent keywords. When we drive those keywords, and let's just stick with the scenario of orthopedic doctor, if you search for orthopedic doctor, we want to get them to a landing page that is pretty clear and concise. You know, phone number, in the upper right or at least a phone number on the page. What you try to do is drive them in there again with the high intent keywords and and try to get them to to call uh, and pick up the phone. And one of the technologies we use is a HIPAA compliant call tracking system where what we can do is we can actually, when someone clicks on the paid ad, whether it's from Google or even Facebook or you know even Pandora or something, we allow tracking of the phone numbers and flipping of the phone numbers. So if your hospital number is, I don't know, 1-800-HOSPITAL, let's just say, we can actually change that number if you came from the orthopedic campaign to 555-1212, or if you came from the cardiology, 555-1313. And then those calls can be recorded And those calls can then be, um, through the system, given to the hospital and let the hospital listen to those calls and determine how many of them are actually qualified. So instead of us just saying, hey, you received 100 phone calls and we did a terrific job and look at your cost per lead was $10. It's like, stop. Why don't you listen and tell us how many people were, how many new patients you actually got? Okay, out of those 100 calls, maybe 10 of them were good patients. Well, maybe if you spent $3,000 that month, you got 10 new patients. Hey, each new patient really truly cost you $300 a piece. By allowing the hospitals to go through, listen to the calls, that really gets them closer and closer to that number. It's still not the holy grail, though. I mean, they're tying in the CRM and everything that you could you know, potentially do to gather downstream revenues. And mm-hmm. the match rates aren't still... you know, they're 30%, they're 40%, they're still not perfect. So what I've been recommending is use those CRM packages to get a true value of what a patient is worth to say that orthopedic practice. You know 
25% of those people are coming in for physical therapy and 20% are coming in for just a checkup or they've got something wrong that maybe it's just a shot or it's just do these exercises at home. You know, figure out what your breakdown is and then figure out what the value of that patient is. And then you can tell whether your campaign is successful or not. It, that's been tremendously useful to reorient back towards where, where there's a purpose behind what we're trying to do with our SEM campaign and helping to track that as further down the stream as we can so that we can actually see some good revenue and, and not only see that good return on investment, but also use that to help inform future campaigns and additional campaigns. Now, since you guys work with a lot of hospitals and health systems, you probably have a lot of institutional knowledge around particular types of campaigns. I, I, I can start out and tell you like types of campaigns that don't work. So that might be helpful for some people. Um, if you're trying to run a cardiac rehab campaign, that's probably not a good idea because that person is going to be referred by the doctor immediately out of you know discharge from the hospital that they're going to go to this cardiac rehab center. There's no need to run a campaign for a cardiac rehab. There's a lot of other campaigns uh, like that as well. I mean, you might say, well, we've got this whole brand new maternity ward and we got a fantastic NICU and it's the greatest in, you know, the tri-state area or east of the Mississippi or whatever. It's the best. Well, nobody knows they're going to need NICU before it kind of happens. So those are the types of campaigns that you don't really want to focus in on. You you do want to stick with bariatrics and ortho. Primary care uh, is fantastic. Urgent care is fantastic. If I didn't say like you know, any of the cardio, sports medicine, any of these types of campaigns where you can drive people in to make that phone call for an appointment, that's really what we try to focus in on. Mm-hmm. A lot of clients when we you know come in, they might have well, we got this one-off campaign that we need you to run. And it could be one of those like NICU type of things. It's like, let's try to run a primary care. We'll show you, you know, the leads that we can drive in, you know, on those or, or one of the other ones. So a lot of campaigns can be successful. You just have to be smart about it and think, think it through of what you really want to try to, you know, accomplish on that. And hospitals should stay localized. Don't, fall victim to to your marketing guys now who say, oh, yeah, we can do a 100-mile radius around this. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's cancer-related, people will travel further for cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a – in certain different cancers, you don't want to go too far. A, a brain cancer, yeah, you're going to travel across the country for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, prostate cancer, breast cancer, you're going to stay local. So you're not going to drive 60, 70 miles for breast cancer because you've got to go in and you got to have your radiation and you got to have you know, your other oncology appointments and everything coming back in. So you're not going to travel far for that. Think of that same way as physical therapy. You're not going to travel 70 miles for physical therapy. So your ortho campaign should be localized five mile radius around your location or your locations. Focus on where you can get the results and that's always closer to home. And then you can expand a little bit. You can go from that five mile radius out to a, a seven or a 10 mile radius at that time or, or pick different zip codes, whatever you want to target. So. so if we look at like kind of the complexity of SEM and how hospitals are kind of approaching it, do you have a couple of tips that you want to share? Yeah, I, I would definitely say, you know, even if you're going in alone um, and you're going in there and you're going to try AdWords and, and try to dabble yourself, mm-hmm. you know, try it. I mean, most hospitals aren't necessarily set up for that or they have the team for it, but you, you can do it. Anybody can run a campaign. But I would avoid the doctor names like I mentioned before. Stick to the keywords, like I said, the high intent keywords. I know a lot of 
uh, marketing folks or service line managers are going to want to go drill into, um, well, it's the meniscus tear, it's the, it's this, or it's the reverse shoulder surgery. It's if they already know these terms, it's probably again too late. They've already been told they need a reverse shoulder surgery, and now they're looking it up. So avoid some of the complex things and stick to some of the, you know, the main core keywords and things. And again, you can try to run them on your own, but there's still thousands of negative keywords you've got to watch out for. The other one is Google, if you just go in and, and pick a keyword like orthopedic doctor, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you're going to get orthopedic doctor. Google wants as many clicks as possible. So when you buy a keyword like orthopedic doctor, in Google's mind, that also means doctor sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. That also means uh, prostate doctor or prostate surgeon. They will expand it as far as they can go. I mean, if, if you don't do it right, your keywords are going to show up for a lot of other searches than what you want uh, result-wise. Right. So that's something. Uh, radius. I mentioned radius. Be very, very careful. You know, I always use is, you know, we look at how large an area is, um, mm-hmm. you know, for population size. But the, the tip is if you're five miles or you're targeting five, you can think moving it to 10 or just double it to 10. Well, you're not doubling it when you go to 10. When you go five to 10, it's actually quadrupling the mm-hmm. size of your radius. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I wasn't real great at like the whole geometry thing and everything back in the day. But it's <laughs> like it comes down to you got to be careful. So keep the budgets low. And you can learn so much from running campaigns that way. And that's what we do when we start campaigns is you may have $5,000 to spend. We may come in and just lowball it. And dr- let's learn. Let's run a five-mile radius. Let's run it tight. Let's mm-hmm. figure out what your impression share is. That's a big thing that a lot of clients don't pay attention to. So just think of, think of it as your market share. You know, right. it's how many times you're there for the, the searches. As always, whenever I talk to you, Kevin, I feel like I'm so much more educated on SEM. Just thankful for, you know, that you're out there and you're helping hospitals. Share with people if they want to learn more about yourself and Eruptor, what's the best way for them to find out about you? Um, Yeah, absolutely. You can reach out to us at uh, info at eruptor.com. And then that's just E-R-U-P-T-R. Uh, not T-E-R, just P-T-R, like Flickr was back in the day. You got to remember, this was 2009. You can reach out to uh, either info or myself, Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, at eruptor.com. More than happy to jump on a half-hour call and talk about what your problem is or what type of campaign you're trying to accomplish or, hey, we're working with this agency and we think it's not going right and we want to do a test campaign or something. We'll do an evaluation for you and just have a you know, heart-to-heart uh, chat and tell you the truth about it. Exactly. Bring him up to speed on the right ways to do SEM. Thank you <laughs> exactly. so much, Kevin, for this interview. It's been really informative. Really appreciate your time. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, Chris. Thank you very much. All right, here we are wrapping up another podcast. Number 27 is almost in the books. Two seven. Um, so here we are. We're going to have a couple of recommendations. Uh, before we do, just a quick uh, quick favor. If you could make your way over to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, uh, recommend to a friend, pass the link around. would be much appreciated. Uh, much, much appreciated. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for listening. Chris, what kind of recommendation do you have for today? 
Reed, I have a pretty good one. It was this weekend I was out uh, looking for a new restaurant. I use Open Table to reserve my my oh. reservations. Do you use Open Table? Never have. Never have. Okay. Well, I do. Uh, I don't know where I picked that up, but many years ago, I started to use Open Table as a way to reserve. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, um, I'm not talking about the reserving part of Open Table, but what was interesting about it is we were looking for a reservation at one of our restaurants that we wanted to go to, and there was nothing available. No seats available. We put in our time, how many people there were, no seats available. And then I saw that Open Table has now put in a pretty robust recommendation engine. Huh. So it said, well, how about these choices for dinner tonight? And what it did is it took our search results. Again, this may be relevant advertising, right? It found restaurants similar to those that we were trying to look for, trying to book ourselves into, that did have availability at that time. It also had the ability to say, find all the restaurants near me now. That made it so easy for us to very quickly find an alternative restaurant for the one we were looking for. Now, I never anticipated Open Table as being a recommendation engine. I always thought it was purposeful towards making that reservation. Never used it for anything else other than that. But now that I have, I think I'm going to explore this a little bit more. Nice. That's great, man. That's really, really good. I'm going to have to check that out. Yep. I'm not sure they do a lot of open table out in the country where I live, but <laughs> uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and again, uh, as apps become and have more and more functionality to them, they become more and more robust, which means less website visiting, which on a mobile device is great, but just kind of a whole different thought process relative to what we talked about today. All right, so mine is uh, a Netflix series called Last Chance You. Season two came out, oh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, maybe something like that. So season one came out last summer. Uh, Last Chance You uh, became pretty popular, but it is a uh, junior college in Mississippi, East, East Mississippi Community College, where a lot of athletes, specifically football players, go um, for kind of their last chance at redemption. And so that's what Last Chance You. So a lot of these kids uh, got kicked out of much larger schools or failed out or whatever it may be and end up at Last Chance You or uh, EMCC to try to revive their their career. And so it follows the football team in the fall of 2015, and then this one would be the fall of 2016. Hmm. Uh, They're very, very good. They've won several national championships in recent years. And so it's just really interesting. It's a really, really interesting dynamic. This this school specifically is in Scuba, Mississippi, Hmm. uh, a town of about 700 people. So there's not much there. Anyway, it's it's just a really interesting dynamic, just a fascinating fascinating documentary you kind of get drawn into because you follow them through the football season each season um is about eight episodes long i think so it's really good really good last chance you so that's very cool that's very cool Mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to check that out netflix does a lot of great documentaries so yeah you know i'm really impressed by that uh not not one for kids the uh language is uh a little uh a little tough uh but uh yeah it's good good stories that that's a good tip reed a very good tip well cool all right well reed um we want to thank once again we want to thank kevin minnelli for his uh interview expert insights yes and um this was a good episode around sem i know it just touched on some high level pieces there's a lot of links we're going to put in the show notes where you can get a little bit more information about all the things we talked about. Make sure you follow along with those show notes. Also, go visit us on Touchpoint Podcasts. 
Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash touchpointpcast. We're going to send out links throughout the week, uh, you know, all the different articles that we have, and also go to our website, touchpointpodcast.com. There you go. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. We had a blast, and we'll see you next week. 